The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Good morning. Do you remember where you were when you first heard of the tsunami off the coast of Japan or when Katrina struck? You know, when large-scale natural disasters occur, they change suddenly the lives of thousands of people. And it doesn't matter if they take place half of the world away. I think they affect each and every one of us. And certainly as we, we struggle to comprehend what's happening, and of course our attention turns to the question, what can I do? Can I do anything? And, you know, Patrick Meyer, my guest today, asked this very question in January of 2010 when a 7.0 magnitude earthquake struck close to the capital of Haiti, killing up to 300,000 people. It was an extraordinary tragedy. But rather than donating money or goods, as many people did, he made a live map of the situation in Haiti and shared it with relief workers who were saving lives on the ground. Patrick is an internationally recognized thought leader on the application of new technologies for early warning in crisis in order to coordinate the humanitarian response. Patrick's also a National Geographic Emerging Explorer, which means that National Geographic has recognized him for his accomplished visionary work early in his career. Patrick, I want to welcome you to the show today and just say thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much for having me. Great, great to be here. You know, I know that uh, people are going to be very interested to hear about your response uh, to Haiti and, and uh, all of the, the conditions that were present to allow you to make that contribution. Um, and I, I think before we dive into the ins and outs of crisis mapping, it would be very interesting, I think, for people to get a sense, Patrick, of who you are and how you yourself got interested in this field. So would you just give us a little bit of background? Sure, I'd be happy to. I've... I've long been interested in sort of the intersection between humanitarian response and, and technology and started working in this space about 10 years ago, looking at how technology could be used to prevent conflicts and in crisis areas and so on. And then got more and more interested in the mapping component as we were collecting more information for conflict early warning systems from the ground. We had geographic information with them, so we wanted to visualize that content. And that was before Google Earth and Google Maps and so on. Uh, but when those two platforms came came up and were made available, that really changed what we could do with crisis mapping. So we were able to accelerate our efforts in leveraging geospatial technologies for crisis mapping after 2005, thanks to these uh, new technologies. And as you mentioned uh, the Haiti example, that's, I suppose, where I've really earned my, my, I guess my first stripes, um, in doing really operational crisis mapping, not only just talking about it and looking at historical data and visualizing crisis information from the past, but actually creating 
alive crisis map. So many, many respects, uh, in many respects, the, the Haiti earthquake is a, is, is a milestone, is a, is a game changer for digital humanitarian response and crisis mapping. You know, it, it, it is really quite interesting actually to think about, um, you know, Google Map and Google Earth and these new technologies and what they allow us to do. And I'm sure most people haven't really thought so much about the crisis side of things. Were you working on, um, crisis work before these technologies evolved or were you on the technology side? Tell us a bit more about your background. More on the humanitarian side. So I'm not a, I'm not a software developer. I'm not a, a coder or programmer uh, or technology expert. I've just been interacting with that community uh, extensively for the past 10 years in, in many respects trying to bridge that particular uh, community, uh, technology community, with my own community, the humanitarian community. Uh, and both are very diverse and have many different actors and so on. But it's that cross-pollination and cross-fertilization of these two communities that has produced what's been possible over the past few years is that joint collaboration. So my background is in the humanitarian space. I've worked in places like uh, the Sudan and Ethiopia on humanitarian technology type projects, again, crisis mapping uh, type projects. Um, so that's really where, where I'm coming from. And I think what's n- increasingly needed is, is those bridge builders between these various communities who can understand the languages and um, comparative advantages of these different communities and bring them uh, together. And you, and you, when you say communities, you really mean the humanitarian community and the technology community. Is that right? I do, and both both are very, very diverse as well. There's uh, humanitarian community will include, obviously, the big international uh, organizations and agencies of the United Nations, but then also national NGOs, international NGOs, grassroots organizations, and so on. So very diverse. And the same thing goes with the technology group that you know we're a community. We're talking about the big players such as Microsoft and Google and Facebook and Twitter. Uh, but also the startup uh, communities as well as the satellite imagery uh, providers and so on. So very, very diverse. Um, and building these bridges uh, really is what we have to do to ensure that we can apply these technologies in a way that actually save lives in, in crisis situations. You know, it, it occurs to me, Patrick, that... Um you know, you, you know, listening to you talking about coming from the humanitarian side of things, um, you must have had a real sense that there was something possible in uh, in addressing crises, you know, through this marriage of technology and and sort of mission, humanitarian mission. Um, what is it that that you could see, maybe say ten years ago, or probably even a little bit longer than that? Where, what were you reaching for and wanting to bring into existence? You know, and, and how did you know such a thing could exist? Well, that's a great question. Um, well, it, you know, we tried to do this kind of live crisis mapping back in two thousand two and two thousand three with uh, an organization at the time that I was uh, consulting for, and. Um, and we struggled because the mapping technology at the time was uh, really difficult to use and, and highly sort of proprietary, meaning very expensive. The licenses that you needed to pay uh, in order to use the platforms were really just prohibitively expensive for an NGO. Um, and so we, we, we really quite failed. We tried to raise the money that we needed. We tried to hire the top experts who were also very expensive to get this done, but we didn't, we didn't get the traction. Now, one thing to keep in mind is uh, maps have always been a part of disaster response. Uh, you know, the poster size sort of static kind of 
paper-based maps and so on have been around for decades and decades and decades. Now, what we were trying to do and have been trying to do over the past uh, 10 years and, and certainly succeeding now and facing different challenges, but it is creating uh, live maps of, this, of, a, of an unfolding situation because, as we all know, disasters and crises are not static. Um, so these maps that you produce uh, that are static and taped on you know, the walls of these different situation rooms and UN agencies and so on, they tend to get obsolete very, very quickly um, uh, over time, even if, if the, what they're mapping doesn't, our infrastructure, these infrastructures can change if they've been destroyed and so on. Uh, so what you really need to provide the kind of situational awareness disaster response responders require to help people, help save lives, is this kind of, you know, thinking about maps as, as videos, as live organic uh, systems rather than, than static systems. So that's what we've been trying to do for the past, uh, well, when I started looking to this space in, in 2001, and, and we're finally getting there, but now we're, we're overwhelmed with information. So th- those are yeah. the challenges. But. Yeah, that's really interesting. What a, what a great snapshot, actually, of the advancement that we've made in terms of what we can do with technology and, and putting it to this purpose is, is really, it's really, um, I suppose when we go to the movies, we always see the situation room with the big maps and the, yeah. <laughs> all the all the information, you know, glowing and beeping at us and so on. But you have to build a bridge to getting to that future, and it sounds like you've really been working on that. Um, can you can you tell us um, when you're creating a, a map of a crisis, what are the kinds of things you're mapping? That's a great question as well. So it really depends on which organization is activating uh, our team. So one of the things I did after the Haiti earthquake, realizing how important critical volunteers were, was to create a global volunteer network of digital humanitarians. So digital volunteers who support humanitarian organizations in times of need, providing that kind of search capacity and skill set that, quite frankly, uh, humanitarian organizations do not have. And so what we, what, the way it works is there'll be a disaster, for example, and a humanitarian organization would get in touch with us and, and request uh, activation of our network in order to provide them with these live uh, crisis maps for them to do their, uh, to inform their, their, their relief operations. And it's up to them to let us know what is, what their own information needs are. Um, and so again, it, it will, it will differ, but give you example, you know, uh, health, health related events or incidences. If it's an, an area where you have massive population displacement that usually comes with, uh, outbreak of cholera and other kinds of, 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 of diseases that, that respect, but also security incidences as well. Um, uh, food security, shelter issues, uh, you know, if you look at infrastructure damage, um, needs. A lot of people turn to social media and, and, and ask for certain, you know, support and so on. So we'll, we'll take the cue from the professionals and then provide them with that kind of information. But what we do, which they are not really able to do at this point and probably won't for a long time is, uh, you know, filter through that noise of information on social media and really just capture the, the relevant information, identify the signals and, uh, put that information in a very intuitive, uh, easily accessible uh, platform like an interactive crisis map so that they can more easily digest that information and, and gain better situational awareness. So that's the process and give you f- a few examples. But in, in Haiti, we also had you know, individuals who were trapped uh, under the rubble. That was one of the, indicated, uh, one of the categories we, were, we, were, we had and we were looking for information on that via SMS and social media. 
And so are you, um, are you sort of scanning social media to find clues and using that information to populate your map? Is, is that how it works or what are the sources of, of the data? Uh, that's absolutely right. Uh, and, and in fact, it's anything on the web, right? Anything that's been digitized and that, that can, that, that we can find on the World Wide Web that is relevant will, will use. Now, our comparative advantage is really being able to, to filter through social media and doing that in, in, in near real time. But in a number of disasters and crisis maps, we've also made use of the mainstream media. Uh, and mapped uh, information from the mainstream media because if you look at certain articles on CNN or the BBC, um, they don't necessarily they they'll re- refer to particular events and incidences and, and say you know oh this happened the the church was destroyed by the earthquake uh, but they won't necessarily map it but we can take that information which is really important information and, and actually put it on a map uh, and provide humanitarians with a with a more easily sort of digestible interface rather than having to read articles, you know, text and text and text. So so that's what we do. Anything that's available on the web with obviously a bias towards a more real-time content because mm-hmm. that's what humanitarian organizations need. Now, until recently, we've been doing this media monitoring uh, entirely manually, uh, which is why, you know, our global network of volunteers is now about uh, 1,100 volunteers in 80 different countries around the world. Because it's incredibly time-consuming to monitor these hundreds of different sources online 24-7. But one of the reasons that I'm working on next-generation humanitarian technologies is because we need to use advanced computing uh, solutions in order to facilitate this kind of media monitoring so that it's not entirely a manual. So that's, that's one of the projects and priorities that I have right now. You know, it's it's um, it's a whole new language. I'm listening to you talk, and you're talking about digital humanitarians and and humanitarian technologies, and you know, it's it's a very exciting development. You know, over over, over in our lifetime to be able to do this. Um, I know we're coming up on a break very shortly, but I'd like to just ask you, you know, what would be an ideal background for someone to have who's interested in going into this this line of work? Well, that's another great question. Uh, any background. I really truly believe in, from what we've seen in the projects, uh, digital disaster response efforts I've been involved in over the past three years, anybody who uh, has some reasonable command of the English language, because that's our main sort of operating, operating language, and who can get online and knows how to use a mouse um, and click, honestly, if that fits your you as a profile and, and your listeners, then you are an invaluable per, a member of the team right away. Um, and I can talk more after the break about exactly how that works and what the uh, approaches are and, and how people can get involved. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we're excluding anybody who has advanced technology uh, background and skill sets. Uh, what I want to say is that there's a whole spectrum of uh, backgrounds and skills that are directly relevant. And even if you don't have any background in this area, you've never been involved, Believe me, you're an invaluable member of the team. We can continue talking about that in a bit. That's great. And before we take our break, quickly, what's your educational background? Uh, it's been in the social sciences, so quite cross-disciplinary uh, in terms of political science, economics, philosophy, uh, international affairs, uh, environmental uh, or climate change, environmental resources, um, digital activism, civil resistance. It's, it's really, it's really I, it's, yeah, it's all over the place. 
Fantastic. We're going to take a break right now. This is Kate Ebner. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. My guest, Patrick Meyer, and I are here today to talk about the incredible work he's doing um, as a, you know, mapping digital, mapping crises digitally. And as you know, he's a National Geographic Society Emerging Explorer. We'll be right back. which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Hi, this is Kate Ebner, CEO and founder of the Nebo Company. Are you struggling to feel successful at work and at home? As a working mom who coaches professional women, I know these challenges firsthand. Join me for a webinar designed to help you or the special mom in your life to thrive at work and at home. You'll learn practical strategies for making your whole life work better, and I'll share how to develop your second team, the secret to feeling on top of your career and your home life. Give this webinar as a gift for Mother's Day or treat yourself. Register now at NeboCompany.com. Use promo code MOM and save 10% when you register by May 10th. Sign up at NeboCompany.com. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. This is Kate, and I'm speaking with my guest, Patrick Meyer, who is currently serving as the Director of Social Innovation at the Qatar Foundation's Computing Research Institute. He is also a National Geographic Emerging Explorer, and he's previously co-directed Harvard's program on crisis mapping and early warning. Patrick served as Director of Crisis Mapping at Yushahadi. Ushahidi, I'll have to have you say that, Patrick. Um, and he, his experience is, um, you know, extraordinary to hear about where you've come from, Patrick, what you've learned, how diverse your background is, and, and really what puts you on the leading edge of this um, developing field. And let me ask you to say that word that I just struggled with a minute ago. It's a complicated word. It's Ushahidi. It's uh, Swahili for witness. Wonderful. What do they do? Uh, this is an organization that I've uh, worked with for about three years, and they are a uh, software NGO, um, and they developed free and open source software for uh, mapping, uh, all kinds of different things. But when I was with them, I was specifically looking at applying these mapping technologies for disaster response. But the vast majority of applications are are, are all kinds of things that you can possibly think about mapping has been, you know, people have used Ushahidi to do that. Okay. Thank you for explaining that. 
you know, I know that, I mean, I'm dying to hear about, you know, how you're using this and especially about Haiti, but I'm, I'm struck by the fact of how much I really want to know, you know, growing up as a boy, did you imagine yourself doing this kind of work? I mean, what really drew you to this? Oh, uh, good question. So I was, uh, I was born and raised in Africa. I was born on, uh, in Cote d'Ivoire, West Africa. And I, and I grew up in Kenya and lived in Africa for the first 15 years of my life. And I think that I, I know that this had a huge influence on, on what I wanted to be involved in uh, later in life. And always wanted to, you know, had the thought of coming back and working in Africa. And, and that's what I've been doing and continue to do so as well. Um, in high school, I got really interested in computer science and threw myself into that. And then uh, changed uh, degrees midway in undergrad because I was like, well, this was a while back. <laughs> and at the time, I, 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 studied, you know, I just couldn't see how I could use these technology skills as an undergraduate student to help uh, anything back on the continent that I had been born in and raised in. And so I actually decided to completely change into political science, philosophy, and economics, thinking that this would be far more valuable. And in many respects, it has certainly been valuable, and I stayed in the social sciences. But it's kind of funny now and ironic that it's come sort of full full circle, and I've been working with technology experts and software developers for the, for the better part of a decade now. Um, uh, because I do think that it's take these different communities and te- technologies and skill sets uh, to do the kind of, of work that needs to be done in the humanitarian space. So it's, um, yeah, it's a little bit of a, a funny story. Well, I think it's great to hear. And I, and I also think, you know, there's so many new kinds of careers emerging from, you know, this, a, this co- complex age we're living in. And so I think it's helpful for people to actually get a feel for, you know, what your, what your path was and what your dreams were. And now, why don't you tell us about, you know, tell us a story about you and Haiti and crisis mapping there. Uh, sure. Uh, well, uh, one afternoon I was on my sofa and switched on um, CNN. And what do I see to my great shock and horror is breaking news um, about the devastating earthquake that had just struck Port-au-Prince. I had uh, some very, very close friends of mine in Port-au-Prince at the time who were there during the winter break doing some uh, research. And uh, and I couldn't get through to them. I didn't, didn't get any replies from them by email or SMS and uh, freaked out, absolutely freaked out. So what comes after that is really an emotional reaction rather than a calculated, predetermined, you know, sort of... Um, uh, decision, but uh, you know, I, I, I was in shock, and I, I was looking at the news, and and I, I just couldn't bear the, the the thought of just staying there, motionless, just looking at the news and waiting for more bad news. And so I figured I've got to do something, and I've got to you know almost distract myself with something. And of course, here I am, you know, my fields and my expertise is in crisis mapping. Um, I why don't I just do what I what I do best and what comes naturally? So I. I launched this crisis map with uh, a number of colleagues, uh, Ad Shahidi and other uh, volunteers who I'd been in touch with earlier that day, and and just started mapping. So that evening, within a few hours of the after the earthquake, we're already adding content to the map. I was specifically looking at Twitter because, uh, to my surprise, there were dozens and dozens of people tweeting live uh, from Port-au-Prince about the disaster. Um, and then by midnight, I finally got an SMS back through another friend that uh, all all our friends were were okay and they were evacuated. 
uh, 24 hours or so later, and 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 we just continued uh, mapping for weeks and weeks and weeks, um, with with really you know no major initially no major sort of strategy beyond let's just let's just map the the, the disaster and the needs uh, as quickly as we can to provide more information. And a few days later, you know, we find out that uh, FEMA is is referring to the map as the most uh, up-to-date and comprehensive map available to the humanitarian community. They're telling us not to stop mapping. I still remember one of them calling us, uh, you know, in my dorm room, because this is where we were doing all this work, saying, you know, no matter, he, he said, no matter what anybody tells you, do not stop mapping, right? So we didn't, and we didn't realize at the time how much pressure that put us under, because we were on adrenaline, but... Uh, but we very quickly sort of became at the center of some of these uh, operational responses that were happening 1,500 miles away uh, from where we were. You know, as you were as you were creating this map, it sounds like it was like it was a map that people could access through the internet. Is that right? That's correct. So it was uh, available online, um, and the media was covering it as well, and and it was freely available. So there was no we weren't you know, making it impossible for people to, to see the map. We were making it as easy as possible for people to, to see the map and to use the data, especially our, our many, many friends in the Haitian diaspora community who played an absolutely pivotal role in these disaster response efforts because obviously they're incredibly well connected on, on the ground um, across Port-au-Prince. And so they were able to use this open data in, in very important ways, faster than even, you know, humanitarian organizations were able to. So that was really an important part of all the story. That's a really incredible. And and how how long did your response go? I mean, how, live crisis mapping. How long is it live? That's a good. That's a good question. I mean, we we did pretty. We did live until the end of the search and rescue operation. So about after two weeks, um, and then we decided to uh, prioritize uh, certain types of information. Over others, and because disaster changes over time, you have different needs. You know, after two weeks, a lot of health issues started cropping up, so we would focus on that rather than everything that we could possibly get our, our hands on. And then we were looking to try and and keep this uh, keep this map relevant for the sort of post disaster reconstruction and development efforts. Um, um, and that took many months, and we eventually then transitioned uh, the platform and, and the skill set and the knowledge uh, to a local Haitian uh, software uh, company called Solution, so that you know they were obviously going to be far more sustainable in, the, in these efforts than we were as a bunch of volunteers you know uh, living fifteen hundred miles away from from port au prince and so we spent a lot of time in Haiti early summer, end of the summer, throughout the summer with three or four of us uh, doing this knowledge transfer and skills transfer and training and working side, to, side by side with our, with our fellow Haitian software developers. So they, they've since taken on that particular responsibility and have done some great work on a number of different um, projects since then. You know, Patrick, there's so many amazing elements to what you've what you've shared and i can only imagine what it was like at the moment to be first kind of compelled by this you know heart-struck feeling about your friends and then you know moving into action and then discovering that your action is you know got everyone's attention and it's really making a difference and then being urged to kind of keep it going were you just 24 7 for that period oh boy yeah and not only me but many many of my 
fellow friends and, and volunteers. Um, it, this was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. Uh, I mean, in terms of just not going, uh, going on, on virtually no sleep for so long. I didn't even know it was possible. Uh, and, and then just, you know, we were, we were nonstop. So I, there's pictures of my friends sort of making fun of me because I would not eat. I would not even make time to eat. So they would sort of, you know, force a sandwich in my mouth and so on. So it was really brutal. It was very, it was incredibly stressful to, to do this. And, and, um, and also psychologically, you know, we were getting a lot of, um, messages from disaster affected communities themselves from Haiti who were obviously not in good shape and um and so that was really psychologically difficult many of my fellow volunteers and friends uh, were able to manage that better than I did but it was definitely an incredibly difficult uh weeks and months um to go through but you know uh, it showed a potential. Uh, it showed that volunteers uh, from all around the world um, could make a difference, uh, a, a life and death kind of difference in disasters, that there's now a new actor in disaster response, these global volunteer networks who can save, help save lives during major uh, crises. And it, it showed us that some, there, was, there was something new here that was really special that could make a difference. And, and while we were doing this at the time and, 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 and making it up as we went along because nobody had done anything quite like this before. You know, it, it showed us what the, the, op- the opportunities were, what, what we could have done better. And, and, and we've learned a lot since and, and we've got our processes streamlined now. So it's not as crazy and difficult and we can take shifts and all that good stuff. And, um, but yeah, it was, it still was the most difficult thing I ever went through. That's for sure. Well, it's, it's, it's really, um, Amazing to think about it, and, it, and I love the word you used early in the show about collaboration. You were talking about working collaboratively, and this kind of collabor- collaboration is really, um, you know, collaborating with the world, really, to to be able to create such a map and, and direct relief in this way. Um, it seems to be sort of um, really of, of our times, and I wonder... You know, the innovation, you know, as you look back, and and I don't even know if looking back is critical here, but as you look back on that, it seems almost like you were intuitively reaching for answers and putting things together in a way that, you know, certainly met the needs of the day um, and continues probably to guide your work. Uh, what have you learned since then? You know, and I realize it's a huge question, but like, what do you take from that, you know, that process? Boy, yeah, no, that's what have we not learned? Um, you know, we've been writing the, we've been sort of writing the how-to guide uh, for everyone else, and and we being, I mean, this is, and let me also make this very, very clear. This is not a one-person show. There's nothing about digital humanitarian response that is a one-person show. We're talking about thousands of volunteers. And in, in, in over 100 different countries around the world who've been involved in these efforts over the past three years, because obviously Haiti was not the last disaster. Um, and so it's really, a, a, it, it, you know, we talk about these technologies and, and, and how they've changed things and so on. That's absolutely true. But for me, ultimately, what moves me the most and what I think is the, the real story here is that it's a human story. It's a story that, you know, when we see people in need, uh, through on the news or on the street or something that, that I'd like to think that our first reaction is, it, and what it means to be human is that we want to help, that we have that initial personal, private, emotional reaction that says, oh no, that's terrible. I wish that, I wish I could find, that's, I wish that hadn't happened. I wish I could find a way to help. Now, in the, in the era of, you know, massive television broadcasting where we had nothing else but that and we were glued to our TVs, 
you know, there was not much more we could do than sort of feel bad and sorry and, and terrible and maybe find a way to donate something to the Red Cross or what have you. Now, those, obviously, that, that's still very, very important. But now we actually have agency. Now we can get online, you know, we can, we, and we don't even have to be in close to the disaster to help. If anything, what we've shown over the past three years is geography doesn't matter. If you can get online, you can process information that's relevant for humanitarian response. So it is a human story. Now we can be connected. That initial private emotion that we have of the sort of, oh, no, this is terrible. I wish I could help. You can actually reach out and say, I want to help. How can I help? And we can be connected now with these social networks, with Facebook and so on, and mobilize as volunteers to, to create uh, certain information, sort of platforms, crisis maps, and so on, that can actually make an operational uh, difference to disaster responders and emergency response professionals. So, so it's a completely different world. We have agency. Any anyone just by even clicking their their you know their mouse on a on a on a button can actually make a difference. Wow. Well, it, it's. I mean, I can hear the the passion and and even the wonder in your voice as you talk about this. And I I wonder, you know, what are some of the challenges, Patrick, that you face as a crisis mapper? In this age, oh boy, yeah. <laughs> what what challenges do we not face? There, there, <laughs> there are huge challenges still. Um, one of the one of the major ones is is just the volume and velocity of information. You know, there used to be once upon a time, not too long ago, where when a disaster happened, you had a typical sort of information vacuum. You know, for 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 several hours, if not a few days, sometimes, where you don't know what's happened, who's been affected, how badly, where, who needs what what the priorities are and so on. And you're it's like a, a fog, right, of, of, of a, that happens. And uh, now we have the opposite uh, uh, challenge is where now the vast majority of, 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 of information that comes out during a disaster is from the disaster-affected population and communities themselves because they're increasingly connected via social media and mobile technologies and the World Wide Web and so on. So there's just this tsunami of information that just surges within minutes um, of, of a disaster. I mean, we look at Hurricane Sandy from last year, 20 million tweets in the space of a week. The year before that, during the tsunami and earthquake in Japan, we had millions of tweets being posted every, every 10 to 15 minutes during that first day. I mean, it's just, just avalanche of information. And we cannot just recruit more volunteers, right? To, to, to throw more volunteers at, at the problem. We have to, we have to now develop automated ways or semi-automated ways to make sense of this information. So we're partnering with the American Red Cross, for example, on developing uh, platforms for them to automatically identify relevant information shared on uh, social media and, and Twitter uh, in particular during these disasters. So their, their own volunteers don't have to spend, you know, on an average day, they have to read through 5,000 tweets. Um, we, that doesn't have to happen. Uh, an, an algorithm can look through that in, in a fraction of a second. Um, so, so there are solutions that we're putting forward to the to this major challenge. And another major major challenge is just the data privacy, data protection, uh, data security. Is is you know all this information being available online? You know can certainly put people at risk as well. So we've been looking at developing codes of conduct, guidelines on how to use social media in safe ways uh, during disasters as well. So those are two of the major challenges, but there are many more. I don't, I, I don't want to say that you know, I have touched on all the challenges here. There are many more. You're doing such a beautiful job of bringing this to life so that we can kind of see through your eyes um, both the possibilities and, and also the challenges of 
of managing this data and uh, making sense of it and creating these crisis maps. And um, you, know, you said something a moment ago about when Haiti was happening, that you know the emotional, the psychological challenge. Um, and I also I hear the optimism in your voice as you talk about this and what it can do. And I also know that your your path, the path you've chosen, is to work with crises. How do you keep yourself in balance as you do this important work? Uh, that's another another great question. And 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 if there is a secret, it's you surround yourself with an amazing team. Uh, and and that's been for me the most inspiring, touching, rewarding part of all of this over the past three years is just working with other volunteers side by side online, virtually, and meeting some just extraordinary individuals from all walks of life, from all ages, from all backgrounds, who just want to help. And they have one or more skills, and they have got time, and they're, they're dedicating that time to help. And it's, it's, it's that community feeling that we've built over the past few years with hundreds and hundreds of volunteers, you know, it's incredible. Like every once in a while I'll, I'll go to a conference or I'll go to a meeting or I'll be traveling for work and so on and, and I'll get to meet one or more of these volunteers who I've collaborated with so closely, who I care for so much and, and, and respect and admire so much, but it'll be the first time we meet in person, you know. And immediately it's, you know, big, big hug and everything else. And I think it's, it's that. It's, it's the community. It's, you know, Africa, you say, it takes a, takes a village to raise a child. Well, that community feeling online is very powerful. Even if we may not all know each other personally or have met personally, those bonds are, are, are what makes all the difference. So if you have good people that you surround yourself with and that you can reach out to and that you also know your own limits, you know, um, and know when to take time out and, and to, to just take a day off or a few hours off. That's also uh, really important. But, but, but this whole story is a success story because it's been the product of an of amazing number of, of people who I just, I just, you know, I just, I can't have enough good things to say about them. They've just been incredible mentors and partners and colleagues and friends. And, and that's what it, it's what's going to take to change the world. It's all of us together connected in one way or another and mobilizing to make this, this, this place a better a better place and to help others in need when when the need arises. This is Kate Ebner. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. I'm having a conversation today with Patrick Meyer who is showing us something that we may not have been aware of and, and I think that um you know, in listening to you describe this this virtual community and uh, the way that you feel it even though it's um even though it's it's virtual and and not live in many cases i don't know it's it seems to me that you're really beginning to to give us a picture of a very positive future and a and a and a, a way of being a community that perhaps we haven't really considered so much so we're going to take a break here patrick and when we come back i want to invite you to share your vision because i i think you can see something from where you stand that would be fantastic for all of us to be able to see too. Um, this again, this is Kate Ebner. I'm talking to Patrick Meyer. We are talking about digital humanitarianism and crisis mapping and the powerful new ways that uh, we're able to help people around the world in the times when they need it the most. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Hi, this is Kate Ebner, CEO and founder of the Nebo Company. Are you struggling to feel successful at work and at home? 
As a working mom who coaches professional women, I know these challenges firsthand. Join me for a webinar designed to help you or the special mom in your life to thrive at work and at home. You'll learn practical strategies for making your whole life work better, and I'll share how to develop your second team, the secret to feeling on top of your career and your home life. Give this webinar as a gift for Mother's Day or treat yourself. Register now at NeboCompany.com. Use promo code MOM and save 10% when you register by May 10th. Sign up at NeboCompany.com. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. This is Kate Ebner. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. And thank you so much for joining us as our National Geographic Explorer series continues this month. Today, I'm speaking with Patrick Meyer, who has such an exciting opportunity for all of us listening. We want to hear, Patrick, of what you see when you look into the future. And I'd like to invite you to share your vision with our listeners. Thank you. And thank you for the great question. What do I see as a future? What do I want to see as a future? And what am I going to work very hard to make sure that future happens with, with these amazing individuals, partners, groups, organizations, and companies is, is really to build more resilient, uh, communities. And, you know, the, the, what is, what is a resilient community? A community that's resilient is a community that has a capacity to self-organize during disasters and to do this kind of self-help and mutual aid during disasters, because as we all know, we're not all affected in the same way during a disaster. Those of us who are less affected, as I mentioned earlier, would almost always want to help others in need. And obviously those of us who are more affected are looking for help. And we see this happen and that uh, we see the data and social media that supports exactly this particular claim I'm making. More and more people are turning to social media, offering help and, 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 and asking for help. And what I want to do is help organize that at a very hyper-local level. I often joke that what we ultimately need is a match.com for disaster response, where we can match local resources with local needs, because professional paid disaster response professionals can, can cannot be everywhere at the same time. They cannot be everywhere in the same sort of street corner of every city in the U.S., let alone the rest of the world. But the crowd is always there. And by definition, it is the disaster-affected uh, populations themselves who are the real first responders. So the pros, um, so to speak, are the second or third responders. But most lives are saved thanks to local communities, local agency, uh, and local help, self-help, and mutual aid. So I want to find ways to improve, facilitate, accelerate 
uh, and render more efficient this self-organization, this matching of needs with resources at the hyper-local level because I really do think that that is a key ingredient to building more resilient societies and communities and letting, allowing them to bounce back and, in fact, bounce forward far quicker following a major disaster. So really it all comes down to helping people help themselves. That's the vision that I'm going for. Well, thank you very much. That's a that's a very clearly stated, and um, it reminds me actually of some of the other shows we've done where we've featured conversations about um, reminding people about the fact uh, this sort of principle of sufficiency. In other words, we have what we need. We are who we need to be. And actually, in the very moment where we think we have nothing, sometimes what we really have is each other. Very well said. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So, you know, I I am. Um, I'm really quite uh, quite interested in, in having people be able to follow you or participate in your efforts um, going forward. What? Well, how can we follow you? How can we learn more? How can we stay with you in this work? Well, there, there are many ways. Um, I am an avid uh, blogger, so if you go to irevolution.net, uh, irevolution like iPhone, but iRevolution, which, by the way, I was inspired to call that my blog, iRevolution, because I see it as a revolution of the of individual empowerment and self-help and so on. Um, I, I blog many several times a week on the projects that I'm involved in, um, the actual operational projects when there is a disaster. I'll let I'll, I'll let you know the world readers know what's going on, if we need help, how we need help, what we're learning, and so on. And um, related to this, I do the same thing on, on Twitter. So my, my handle is just my first and last name, uh, Patrick Meyer, and share information there uh, as well. If you want to become involved in more operational, if you wanted to become a, a digital humanitarian uh, volunteer, then there are also a number of avenues there. You go to the Standby Volunteer Task Force blog, if you just Google Standby Volunteer Task Force, uh, you'll find the blog there and it gives you uh, guidelines on how to join. You, I would also invite your listeners to uh, check out the digitalhumanitarians.com uh, network, which is a network of networks where volunteers can also join and, and make a difference. And one of the, the most recent initiative that, that I'm launching is called Micro Mappers, and that's to cater for to the rest of the world, folks who maybe don't have you know that much time to to contribute because they're already working full time and studying full time and so on, but they have a few hours maybe here and there and you know every other week or something, uh, and who don't necessarily have any background in, in crisis mapping, humanitarian response, or any of what I've just talked about. Um, the, the 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 project MicroMappers will make apps. Uh, web-based apps available to these volunteers to simply do clicking through these apps to process information for humanitarian organizations. And that is such a core part of what crisis mapping and digital humanitarian response is about that, you know, the, 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 this team is incredibly pivotal to our efforts. So what I'm trying to do with micromappers and these apps is to radically democratize um, digital humanitarian response and really to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that anybody who can more or less read English and can get online and use a mouse um, can actually be a digital uh, humanitarian volunteer and, and help major humanitarian organizations such as the Red Cross and the United Nations during disasters. 
Thank you. That sounds like very exciting uh, places for us to go and, and, and participate. And I'm so glad you shared such specifics. And I want to ask you to spell your name for the people who want to follow your tweets. Oh, of course, sure. Patrick, P-A-T-R-I-C-K, and Meyer is M-E-I-E-R. Thank you. Patrick, I have to ask you this. Um, who inspires you? Like, what are your influences? Who's, who inspires you? Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, sorry to repeat myself, my, just the, the, the people who I work with. I, I, just, I, I just feel so incredibly grateful for, for having met such amazing people over the past few years uh, who I don't think I would have met if you know, we hadn't launched this field of crisis mapping and, and humanitarian technology and digital humanitarians. It's, it's just been like a, a honeycomb for so many amazing people to connect and people, you know, hundreds of people around the world who I would have never, ever had an email exchange with, let alone a phone call or, or IMing with on Skype who, who do amazing things. Um, just seeing volunteers rally out of nowhere uh, during disasters and, you know, and just spending, committing time to helping people who they'll never meet. You know, when we were doing this work in Haiti, here we were, a lot of us in, in, in Boston and, and, and also Geneva and then Montreal and Seattle and so on. And, and then the Haitian diaspora from, from all over the place, you know, just spending a lot of time doing this kind of work to, to try and help people we'd never meet um, is for me such an inspiring um, thing to see. And, you know, when, when I started this, when it all started with Haiti, um, that fateful day, you know, I just was blown away when I, you know, emailed all my friends and said, hey, I need help mapping Haiti. You know, and by the end of the week, I had 100 people in my dorm room, <laughs> you know, most of them strangers at this point, um, just just come in. So there's such an amazing human reaction to wanting to help. And just seeing that play out every day um, is something incredible. And, and as recently as the tragic events in, in Boston where we saw within 60 minutes, we saw within 60 minutes over 2,000 people offering to take people into their houses if they needed a space, if they needed a home, if they needed anything. I mean, that is just an incredible human story, and that's really what inspires me, is that human story. Yeah, Patrick, I want to just say thank you. You've, you've really given us so much to think about. So glad that you're doing this work and that you're inviting us all to be a part of it. It's um, inspiring to me personally. And um, my very last question for you is a simple one to, to ask and probably another one kind of tricky to answer, but um, you know, you're leading, you're leading the development of a whole new field. You really are an explorer. And what's that like? What, what is that? What is it like to be in, in such a role? Um, it's, it's uh it's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's it's like being a kid in a toy shop and you know uh and just playing around with all these amazing new technologies and meeting incredible people and thinking about new ways to apply these technologies that maybe you know Facebook never thought about their platform being used for disaster response let alone Twitter and so on and, and many others that are new, you know, Web 2.0 apps and all that stuff that's coming out of Silicon Valley and other places. And just, you know, every time I see something new, I'll go, okay, how, how can this be used? And how, if so, how can we possibly use this new technology? And which partners do we need to partner with? And, and so it's, it's, just, it's just an incredible amount of fun because it's uh, such a creative uh, space or that has so much potential for creativity and imagination and, and really where 
you can come up with the craziest ideas and then find the right people to bounce them off and and they say, you know, they come back to you and say, yeah, yeah, we can do that, you know, and that blows you away. Like, <laughs> I was sort of kidding when I suggested this idea, and they'll come back and say, no, no, this can be done, you know, and and just then building the teams around these, you know, sort of Mission Impossible ideas, uh, and again collaborating with amazing people, incredibly talented people from all walks of life, and so on. It's just, it's so much fun. It's it's just I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Well, I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing, and um, you know the. The uh, what's what's amazing about it, really, from a, I mean, I'm really coming fresh and new to this conversation and ha- not having thought so much about this until until now. But is the, what you just said, you know, here are these technologies, finding these new ways to use them for these humanitarian purposes and and involving everybody in the process, you know. And, and yeah, I was also struck by how you were describing the the you know the the hive, you know the this this sort of hive approach of of you know people um swarming around a problem so to speak and finding ways to solve it which it seems to me in my work as a person who's developing you know concepts and also leadership uh, ideas for the 21st century this idea of putting the right people in the room giving them the challenge and letting them create together and find new solutions sounds exactly like what you're doing does that sound true to you it really, really is, and it, it became apparent within a, within a few days of, of Haiti, right? Because you have this rapid, huge vo- mobilization of, of volunteers. We're talking, you know, several dozen the first days and then hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And the leadership style that is compatible with that is certainly not a top-down, hierarchical, centralized, you know, egocentric, whatever you want to call it, right? That, that is a... Re- that, then you're holding everything back, and, and time is not a luxury that people have during disasters. It requires a very decentralized um, approach to, to leadership, where you're basically you're inviting people to join, and you're not vetting them necessarily. You're basically trusting uh, that, that the people are going to come in and, and put their best foot forward. Now, that doesn't always happen, but, it's, but, but the few bad apples that we've had out of Southern are really two or three out of a thousand is really not a bad, bad batting average. And just to trust Trust that people will do their best and they're going to come to you if they have a question. They're going to talk to each other if they need support, if they, if, if they, if they are unsure about something. But you decentralize and you give people the benefit of the doubt um, that, that they're going to do the right thing. And yes, mistakes will happen, but generally speaking, we've not had any major mistakes happen. There'll be little slip-ups and yes, some people will get upset and so on, but you learn and you move on. And, and it's, a different, it's a completely different leadership style than maybe we might be used to from, from sort of private sector top down from the eighties and nineties, perhaps. Um, it just doesn't, yeah, it just, it has to be very different. Um, I understand. I'm a big big fan of that as well. Well, I want to say thank you yet again for joining me today. It has just been a pleasure to talk with you, Patrick Meyer, and I hope that you'll have great success as you continue forward. You've been listening to visionary leader, extraordinary life. Thank you for joining us today. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life. Hi. 
Hi, this is Kate Ebner, CEO and founder of the Nebo Company. Are you struggling to feel successful at work and at home? As a working mom who coaches professional women, I know these challenges firsthand. Join me for a webinar designed to help you or the special mom in your life to thrive at work and at home. You'll learn practical strategies for making your whole life work better, and I'll share how to develop your second team, the secret to feeling on top of your career and your home life. Give this webinar as a gift for Mother's Day or treat yourself. Register now at NeboCompany.com. Use promo code MOM and save 10% when you register by May 10th. Sign up at NeboCompany.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.